the millennial way. A podcast made for the on-the-go millennial, giving you tips and advice on how to up-level your career, teaching you the things they don't teach you in school. When they ask why, just tell them it's the millennial way. Here's your host, Chase Coleman. Y'all, welcome back to another episode of The Millennial Way, and I am so freaking pumped to have this guest on today. And I told you guys just on Wednesday, Winning Wednesday, that I had easily one of my favorite guests coming on the show, and I honestly never thought that this would be happening. I'm like super... I don't even know how to explain it. Like it's almost kind of surreal. But guys, I have my brother, Blake Coleman, on the line with us today, and you guys think I'm doing things right? Let's talk about Blake for a second because Blake knows exactly what he's doing. So Blake is a junior at Rice University or a soon-to-be junior at Rice University. And this kid has accomplished a lot. I mean, when we're talking about him in high school, he was one of the top two debaters for three years in a row in the state of Georgia. Now, that meant that I couldn't win a damn argument with this kid. And I don't even argue with him anymore because I know I'll never win it. So with all that being said, we can just jump forward and just get a, get away from high school. And let's talk about what Blake is doing now. So as a brief introduction for Blake, and we'll let Blake talk to you guys a little bit more about what he's doing and how he's gone on his path of being a successful young college student, is that he just got back from Israel. He was out there for 10 days, and it was a fully funded trip. He went there for free and was discussing the Israeli and Palestinian relations and the nuances surrounding that issue. Now Blake is in Washington, D.C., and that's right, y'all, Washington, D.C., working for the U.S. Department of State in their Office of Missile, Biological, and Chemical Weapons Nonproliferation. Man, it's taken me a long time to learn how to say nonproliferation for a 10-week internship program. He's also a fellow of the Baker Institute in, in the D.C. area, which provides funding for him to be in D.C. for the summer, which means that's right, he's there for free. And he also gets to go to seminars and lectures that are related to political theory. And we'll find out a little bit what Blake wants to do in the future. And then after he leaves D.C., Blake is going to be back on his international travel. And he's actually going to be moving over to London in August, where he's going to spend his fall semester out there in London. That's right, the United Kingdom. And he's going to be participating in the Hansard Scholars Program, which involves him in studying at the London School of Economics and participating in an internship at, drumroll please, the British Parliament. So Blake is going from the U.S. government to the British Parliament. Blake, thank you so much for joining us today. I am uber pumped to have you on. How are you doing today, man? I'm pretty good. You know, just doing well. How are you? I'm, I'm doing good. Doing good. Um, again, thanks for, for coming on today, Blake. And, you know, first question that I have for you is, what is your end goal? Right. I, you know, I think we've had a little bit of a conversation around what you want to do in the future. I tell people that I want to run for president in 2032. The reality of it is that you're going to win the presidency in 2036. But love if you could articulate a little bit on what it is that you want to do coming out of college. I mean, yeah, it's a pretty good question. Like, of course, like I'd also like to run for president, but realistically not going to happen. But um, I don't know. I'd say that's like kind of the point of my internship right now is to see what I want to do. If I want to work in the government, if I want to go to law school, if I want to go into the workforce, honestly, like I'm a pretty indecisive person and hopefully I'll be able to decide at the end of this summer right now. Um, current track is just go to law school, which is like a pretty basic kind of thing, I guess. But I don't know. That's a pretty good question that I ask myself literally every single day and give myself a different answer every single day. So I, I mean, yeah, I guess that's hopefully my internship will give me a little more to say after that, but I don't really know what else to answer with that one. I guess I'm pretty clueless at this point. I hear you. I hear you. And I would say you're not clueless. And I think the best thing about internships is that you're only there for a finite time, right? When I think back to my internships in college, I did a financial advising internship, worked at Prasco, a pharmaceutical company. And during both of those internships, I was like, I don't really know what I want to do coming out of college. I mean, shoot, you know this. I changed my major seven times while I was in college. But again, the fun part about internships is you get to test something and you get to truly learn if you like it or not. And then it gives you a good read on what do I want to do coming out of college? Do I want to go work in the government? Do I want to go join the workforce and work for maybe a tech company? different things like that. And I think it's 
very important that you're putting yourself out there, moving to different places, seeing different parts of the world, and also being able to, again, gauge on what it is that you want to do moving forward, especially as you come out of college and you still got two more years. So you got plenty yeah, and, and plenty of time. Yeah. And like, I think it's good not having, like not knowing what I want to do per se, just because I feel like if I didn't know what I want to do, I may be limiting myself in the things I participate in or the internships I apply for, et cetera. Whereas since I'm so indecisive, I apply for a wide variety of internships, try to get my foot in the door and a lot of random things to see what I do like. And I think it just overall helps. It provides a more fun experience anyways, because I'm getting a diverse amount of experiences that I wouldn't have done otherwise if I was, say, dead set on law school or something like that. I agree. I agree. And speaking of traveling the world, so you just got back from Israel. Can you tell us yeah. a little bit about what you learned out there, how you got to go out there for free? I mean, I'm jealous as hell. Like mom told me that you were going out and she was like, oh, and by the way, it's paid for. And I was like, paid for by who? And she was like some scholarship or the school or whoever. And I'm like, dang, how can I be like little Blake? So can you tell us a little bit more about how you got to go to Israel, the opportunity that was presented to you, and then also what you learned while you were out there? Yeah. So it came up because there's a group on campus that was targeting quote unquote student leaders on campus to basically come and sort of learn about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. It's through like Houston Hillel, which is like a really big Jewish organization, but it's not like the typical birthright trip or anything, I guess. Like the goal was to target student leaders on campus to come discuss the issue and the nuances behind it and sort of engage in dialogue. So I got chosen for that or like through an email. I'm not really sure like the exact process. It was like a pretty simple application because you had to get like recommended to apply for it. And then after that, about 20 of us got selected for the trip and then everything was funded, like flights, everything you can imagine. Basically, I didn't really spend much money there at all besides like my own, like if I wanted to get my own lunch or something like that. And the trip was pretty invaluable in the things we learned. It was pretty awesome, honestly, because you realize that like in America, I guess you hear a lot about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, but it's very different going to the actual source of the conflict and learning from people who participate in it and learning the different sides of the views. And it just becomes a lot more like everything just starts to materialize once you're there. So we got to take, we got to visit different cities in Israel. We went to Jerusalem, Tel Aviv, and Tiberias, I believe. Then we also got to go into Palestine. We went to Bethlehem. We went to the border of the Gaza Strip. We went into the West Bank. We got to do so many cool things and talk to different speakers from Palestine, from Israel, and actually hear what, both sides actually have to say as opposed to just what cnn is saying about it for example so just really cool and really enlightening just getting to hear personal stories behind it because that's what is going to bring their personal stories are going to be the sort of the strongest way just to learn about the topic and sort of relate to it more so we just got to hear basically we just bouncing around from speaker to speaker from location to location hearing as many different viewpoints and perspectives as we could about it and it just became i don't know there's so much we got out of it but Overall, we just have a heightened sense of, I don't know a way to phrase it, I guess, but we just have, it's just so much on our minds now, I guess, about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. We just know much more about it and we know the hardships going about it. So when we come back to America, I guess we now fully, we still, you still never fully understand the issue, but you still know a little bit more about what's happening. You can read the biases in the news and you could just sort of, it just makes you, forces you to pay attention more, I guess. Yeah. And I think it gives you the facts of what's going on rather than, like you said, just hearing from what CNN or any other news outlet is saying about it and actually being there and seeing how the people live and how the people who are participating in these conflicts, right, how they truly feel about it. I think the biggest eye opening thing for me was when I went out to Europe just this past year and went to Barcelona and learned that Catalonia and Spain two completely different things. And like we were there on the Catalan day of independence or what was the Catalan day of independence. And people were out like striking in the streets and protesting. And it was just so eye opening to see. And then it, when we went to London, we saw pretty much the same thing, but it was more around like the fascist and the anti-fascist and how, you know, these people who are, you know, similar to the KKK within the United States have these problems with blacks in London Yet the people who are in support of the blacks were like, well, we're going to set up a rally because we want to fight you guys because we don't like you guys. And it was like, oh, my Lord, like this is a real thing. And it's 
it just brings to light how real politics are within everyday lives. And I think in America, we don't, we're not affected by the government as much as they are in other countries. And I'm like, I mean, you got me wanting to go to freaking Israel just so I could see the place, eat the same food that you had. Like the, the landscape was beautiful, but also to get immersed into the, the culture to understand the same exact things that you were talking about, because we don't, the, the news only reports on so many different things. And I would say that like your experience in going out there and actually seeing it firsthand is more than invaluable. Right. Yeah. And like, for example, like, like on the news, you'll hear like missiles were launched or like something like that. And we tend to just sort of brush it off as like a, like world news event. Oh, well, like doesn't affect me. But then when you actually get to go and talk to these people, we visit a guy who's one of the missiles literally landed in his backyard. And you just sort of get the realization that it's families out there. It's their kids being affected. They have to go. The kids have to get trained with bomb shelters and everything. And it just sort of reading on the news is different than actually seeing it and experiencing it or maybe not experiencing it, but seeing these people live through it and just hearing their stories about it. And it just becomes a lot more real and just really grabs your eye on that. If not just any regular news site that you're reading about, it's people's lives that are being affected. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I, I love this. I learned so much in those literally like just those three minutes, but want to switch gears just a little bit because you said the application process to go out to Jerusalem was relatively easy. You got recommended to apply and then filled out an application and then boom, you're in. Now, I can only imagine what it's like to apply for an internship, which I've never done before, to go work for the U.S. Department of State in their Office of Missile, Biological, and Chemical Weapons Non-prolifer- Non-Proliferation. See, I can't even say it still. I know that you're working right next to the White House, Blakes, which is freaking awesome. I mean, the fact that you're like right there in it all the time is, I mean, I can't tell you how much I brag about you and what you're doing right now, but would love to understand one, what the application process was like, what the interview process for that was like. And then also, I mean, like you've been there for what, three weeks now, two to three weeks now, about two and a half ish. Okay. And we'd love to hear about like your time working. I mean, in such a highly political place, such as DC and I mean, shoot, like right next to the White House, right? So can you tell us a little bit about that application process first? Yeah, so the application process was not easy. It was pretty frustrating. Um, So the State Department, they, uh, most DC internships, like the application opens around like January, February-ish, maybe even March. And you hear decisions maybe like early April to like mid-May usually, like that's how most DC internships work. But the State Department, their application closed, I believe, in the middle of October or maybe the end of October, somewhere in the early first semester. So basically, I had to decide if I wanted to apply to the State Department like during the summer. So after that decision, the application was sort of on this like really big like general portal kind of deal with a lot of just like sort of your standard basic application, like submit your resume, submit three letters of recommendation, write this essay, fill out all these questions and stuff like that. It's very like, very basic on that regard. And then after that, you have to pick your top three offices you want to work in. So obviously one of mine being the Office of Missile, whatever, non-proliferation kind of, I just want to repeat it. But um, so obviously then you pick your top three. And then after that, what happens is if the the three offices are then the only ones that see your application. And if they want to reach out to you, then you get an interview offer. And if they don't want to reach out to you, then you just don't really hear anything back. So I submitted the application sort of still, again, just like a, like a pretty long application, but nothing out of the ordinary compared to any other internship application. And then after that, I got a phone call in the middle of the day. It was thunderstorming in Houston. I was walking back from class. It was like 1045. I was standing under my friend's umbrella and I got this random phone call from DC and I usually don't answer random phone calls, but I was like, you know, like it says DC, like it may be the state department, which I'm glad I thought that because it was the state department and I am still under my friend's umbrella and I answer the phone and I hear it's the director of the office of missile, whatever, non-proliferation. So then here I am like in my raincoat, like having my friend hold the umbrella and we have I have her like hold the umbrella and like sprint over to the library so I can like go rent out a room real quick and sit down and talk to this woman. So I awkwardly answer the phone and tell the woman to give me two minutes because I had no prior notice of this. And here I am like trying to book this room instantly, like sprinting into the room. 
so then the interview process was basically like a very again like on the spot so and this is how uh, talking to other interns it's how it was for them also it was pretty on the spot nobody really got a notice that they were getting an interview or anything so then it was very strange because not strange but you have no way of preparing for the interview like i didn't have questions lined up i didn't know what she was going to ask me i didn't read up ahead of time on her office i didn't i was very panicked at the time and i think that may be the goal just because they no one is really notified at the time so it is sort of like a chance to see the real applicant i guess i don't whatever you want to call it so then the interview was also like nothing out of the ordinary it was basic questions asking why I was specifically interested in their office, what my background was in research and statistics and how I can contribute to their office, why I'm interested in the State Department, and then how I would fit in and my sort of like work style, I guess. So then after the interview process, you, and then it's like, um, then if the office likes you, then they sort of compete with other offices for interns, if that makes sense. Like they submit their top interns, but if they overlap with another office, then they have to like battle it out kind of. So then that process goes on. Then you're kind of in the blue until whatever decisions are made. So then in about mid-December, I got a conditional acceptance, which is that I got my internship all based on if I got a security clearance or not, which was another huge step of the process because I still know people who got their internship, but were not able to participate because they never got their clearance. So getting your clearance is like a really big deal because if you don't get your clearance, then you also just don't have an internship because you're just continually waiting and waiting for your clearance and you don't apply for other things thinking you're going to have this internship and then you don't get the clearance. So it's still like, um, so nothing is still set in stone yet. And the security clearance is a very long process. You fill out this extraordinary long application all about your background you submit fingerprints you do like a background check you basically do everything imaginable that they can know about your background sometimes they interview your family and friends it can really go the whole nine yards if they want to that's crazy so then well real quickly how what type of security clearance do you have right now if you're allowed to tell us like is is there levels to it are you uh, yeah so i'm secret i believe if that's the name of it but there's about like five different levels and granted i'm like not the top one at all but having secret i believe gives you access to like some classified information not all and basically like the ability to perform like a normal employee in your office if that makes sense okay yeah that makes sense like the like the maximum level of still being an employee without with while still being like a regular intern kind of like there's nothing that's prohibiting me yeah no that makes sense that makes sense now keep going on with your story sorry for cutting you off you're good and then um where was I? And then, oh, so the whole like clearance spiel and that it takes forever. And then I find out in late March that I finally got cleared, which some, I was, I found out earlier than most people. A lot of people didn't find out till May, randomly in April. It kind of all depends because you're assigned a person in their investigative office who's like assigned to your case. And it's basically if your person is fast or slow, no matter what the case is, we had a shutdown which completely backlogged all the security clearances. It was a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, I could only... So then, so yeah, so then after that, after then I got the clearance, I was finally done with the whole application process, I guess. And I was finally able to sit back and enjoy that I have finally secured myself an internship. Yeah, man. And while, so while you're waiting on that security clearance, right? Because you have friends and other interns and buddies who didn't get that clearance, right? So would you recommend that somebody, if they were to get an internship similar to yours, that they continue to apply and interview with other places in the case that they don't get that security clearance? Or would you? I I definitely would recommend applying to other places because it's not uncommon that you don't get your clearance either. Like I would say I know like too many people I would say that end up not getting their clearance. So I would most definitely recommend applying to other places and then at the end of the day if you have to reject the places like oh well but it's definitely better to have a a backup option which is something I regret even though I've still got my internship that if I didn't get my clearance I would have really been I'm uh I almost cursed sorry um I would have really been messed up because I wouldn't have had an internship and I would have not known what to do at all because I didn't apply for anything else after I got my conditional acceptance. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. And what is it exactly that you're doing 
as an intern at the Department of, of State? Like, I'm so really curious as to what the, exactly it is that you get to do on a daily basis. Yeah, so they treat, so the State Department is relies very, or is relies very heavily on interns. It's like, I'm basically an employee in my office. I get assigned, a, I work on projects with a lot of my coworkers. I get assigned a lot of the same things they do. I attend meetings with them. I just do briefings with them. I basically, I, a lot of the work I do is no different than any other employee. Like I may do some of the intern stuff where an employee doesn't want to do something. They'll still give it to me or do data entry, et cetera. But granted, a lot of the stuff because of my office, I can't discuss the actual stuff I'm working on, but it is, I will say on from an intern's perspective, it is really cool on how they don't treat their interns as interns. Like, or like we all have the same badges. Like you can't even differentiate who's an intern and who's not within the building. So it's just a, the culture is very that if you're an intern, you're basically an employee and you better keep up your work than you just do whatever your office tells you to do because they rely heavily on you because they do internships over the summer, fall and spring. So they always have a steady stream of interns. So it's basically just like a spot in the office that's just continually replaced, but it's still a student they rely on for heavy workloads and my office in particular is pretty small so I do have a high workload I guess you want to say compared to others that I do eight to five work days working all the time and I'd like a I feel like I have a real job which is pretty cool that's awesome and that's something that is pretty shocking to hear because when I think about the government just in general it's relatively hierarchical, right? You have like a, yeah. I mean, we'll talk about the president's office. You have the president and then you have the vice president and then you have his cabinet, you have his, his advisors. Like there's a lot of people who are underneath him. And at the end of the day, like we do have checks and balances so they don't have the all almighty power. But at the same time, like things do kind of fall down from the president down, right? Regardless of who's in office. So it's cool to hear that your office and the majority of the government is actually pretty streamlined and flat, I would say, to where it's like, hey, we all have our things that we need to work on. Sure, we might have a boss, but at the end of the day, like our interns are full-time employees and we need them to get the work done because we're not trying to teach them too much. We're trying to get as much output from them as possible in the 10 weeks that they're here while they continue to learn more and more about our government, how we work, and how we also um, do things here within the United States. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, there's always a certain point of, like, teaching interns about what you do and stuff, which is why I go to all the meetings and stuff like that. But it's also, what's the most we can get out of this guy for the 10 weeks that he's here, kind of, and that's basically giving me as much work as they can, or helping ease other people's workloads or whatever it is. And it's just really, it's just really cool how once you come in, you get treated as an employee, like, for example, we got a new employee yesterday, like an actual worker, like not an intern. And he's doing all the same stuff I did during my first week. Like everything is just very similar. So I'm almost treated like as a new employee who's just sadly leaving after 10 weeks as opposed to a intern who's only going to be here for the summer. Yeah, that's cool. And do they have any like intern events for you guys? Like do they put on things where they'll do like an intern night out or like, you know, let's go view the monuments or something like that. Like, do they have events set up like that? Or is it truly like, Blake, you're a full-time employee for these 10 weeks. We would love to treat you to do something fun. But at the end of the day, like it's a privilege to get to work for the government. So we're not going to put on too much for you because you better be working. Yeah. Like I'd say a lot of other DC offices tend to do like intern events, kind of like brown bag lunches or like we all go to the baseball game or something like that. Whereas the state department, since, this is all just sort of under an assumption. I'm not in charge of the internship program or anything, yeah. but they they really don't offer that many events and none that I even know of really. And I think it's because you are expected to be treated like an employee and you're not like a special privilege or anything because you're an intern. Like, I think it's all like you go work for your office and if your office has things for you, that's great. If they don't, they don't. It's very just like you're working for the government, you're working for the state department. It's not it's not like a super fun and not like not, not saying it's not fun, but it's not like meant to be like, Oh, hang out with your intern friends all the time kind of deal. I think it's just a very serious atmosphere that they don't want to go off the impression that it's not a serious atmosphere because everything we're working with is 
either classified information, critical information, or something of that nature. Yeah. And I would say that makes a lot of sense, right? Like it's almost like if you're becoming a doctor, right? For example. Yeah, exactly. You go into your residency. You're not necessarily going into your residency and working in a hospital for two years to have fun. You're going there to learn, one, and two, to take care of people, right? And it's sounding like the amount of work that you have and the work that you're dealing with, the sensitivity around it is so sensitive and confidential and things that are taken very, very seriously, not only by the people within your office, but within the people globally that it's like, Hey Blake, like we're really glad you're here. We're really glad you're getting all this work done, but we need you to keep working your ass off for us because we have you for 10 weeks. And while you were, will learn a lot in this role and in your internship, we also want to make sure that you know that this is serious because you're working for the government and because you're a government employee. And I mean, shoot, like you have all this security clearance, right? And you have a, a badge that has, I, I don't even, I've never seen it before, but it, it's got, I'm sure it's got some type of like security confidential chip or something like that. So just being able to show you that it's like, Hey, this is serious work. And if you actually want to come work at a place of this nature, right? If you want to come work for the department of state, this is how you're going to have to treat it day in and day out. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, there's no one here to argue with them or anything on that regard. Like the work I do on a daily basis, it's, it's still weird when you put into realization that the work, the work I get to work on or something like that is actually contributing to the state department's overall goal. And all the work I'm doing, this isn't sort of menial work for a random private company. It's information that the government's going to use in some way or somehow, and it's still going to contribute to something bigger. So it does also just put into realization that every single time you're doing work, that it's more serious than like most jobs you would take, for example, I guess. Like, for example, if you compare to like three summers ago when I'm scooping ice cream, like if I mess up a scoop, oh well. But if it's like here, if I mess up something on my work, it's like an actually bigger deal and I have to tell my boss and everything like that. So it's just like um, you realize when you're working with critical information and secret things and stuff like that, it just it's just becomes much more of a real job, I guess. I feel like I'm getting a little redundant, but it just it just becomes that kind of way. It's like, it's really cool at the same time. Yeah, no, it makes sense. It's like the magnitude of your work has increased dramatically, right? Like, yeah, like you go from feeling like a normal intern to even though I'm still an intern, you somehow have this greater sense of accomplishment and just feeling like you're a little more hot shit because you can, you're working with other employees that are working on similar things. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. It's like, my internship with Prasco when I moved up to Cincinnati and worked in you know product management and then also was able to work on the sports department of it. The one thing that I really enjoyed from it was you know, the first two to three weeks I started off and I was doing typical intern things. I was taking pictures. I was getting coffee for people. I was running around, picking up lunch, like doing all these crazy things. And then you know, I, I raised my hand to my manager and was like, hey, can I get more responsibility? I believe that I'm, I'm capable of more than just you know, driving around and getting stuff for people. And they assigned me a project that they had been kind of holding off on for a long time. And when they assigned that to me, I hit it with full force. Now, don't get me wrong. I was still picking up coffee for people. I was still driving around getting pizza and stuff like that. But I showed to them that I was one willing to work my ass off to get the projects done and also get my day-to-day work done. And then two, it was like, whoa, like Chase is actually capable of more than he than we believe he was. So we got to continue giving him more and more. And by the end of that internship, it turned into... I was a full-time employee almost. I was doing pretty much the same things as you were, and not obviously not the same things working in a pharmaceutical company versus the government. But at the same time, I had more responsibility and I was held accountable for the things that I was doing. And people were looking to me to own and be that guy on my work stream and my workload. And when it came down to it, if I didn't know it, then nobody else knew it. And it seems like it's the same exact thing for you. And I would love to kind of switch gears a little bit looking at, uh, into the future. I mean, shoot, it's June. You got about, a, like you said, it's a 10 month internship. You got about seven and a half more weeks left, but would love to learn more about parliament. Okay. So you're moving from the U S government to the English government, essentially, Theresa may just step down and we won't even go into that, but would love to learn. <laughs> would love to learn more about how you got that internship with parliament how you're going to be moving out there. And like the London School of Economics is one of the best schools in the world. I mean, I think everybody knows that it's right on par with Ivy League schools, right? But I'd love to learn more about your journey on how you got there. And then also what it is that you believe that you'll be doing if you know that you, what you'll be doing. Yeah, so um, 
it's all part of this one study abroad program and like studying abroad was not on my list whatsoever of things to do in college I like I was so against leaving school for a semester and missing all the events and everything that studying abroad was just not on my mind whatsoever but I ended up having enough free space in my schedule and I went to our little study abroad office had like a cute little meeting with our study abroad officer and I was like hey I was like I don't really know what I'm doing I'm a political science major like I maybe want to go abroad like it sounds kind of cool and then he told me about this program called the Hansard Scholars Program which is basically like um it's like a program that kind of does it's like an overarching program where if you get into the program then they set up the classes at London School of Economics and they set up your internship for you also. So the program is really in charge of most of the things. So the one thing is just, you just need to make sure you apply to the program and get in. So um, after like discussing with my mentor and my study abroad officer and everything, I decided, you know, like, why not F it? Like, I'll go to London. Like, I never, like, before Israel, I've never been outside of the country before. So I was like, gotta go at least sometime. So this is all kind of like on a whim, really not the most planned decision I've ever made in my life. Still not the most planned thing I'm ever still doing. But I don't know, like might as well take risk, I guess, while you're in college. But send the application process. You one have to, I first had to apply through Rice to get accepted. Like Rice had to allow me to go abroad. And then after that, you apply to the program after like you get the Rice approval. So the process is still like I'm still not asked to clear as what it is because I don't know if it's specifically rice has a thing with this program or not or how it works I can't really test that but then you also do an application on their website and it's like another decent application another kind of basic like resume letters of rec like personal statements like why do you want to come and such like that so then so then after that the program I got the acceptance letter and Basically, it was all kind of set after that. I don't know exactly what I'll be doing in Parliament because you get to pick, you get to submit them your like top interest, whether you want to work for like a member of Parliament or like a committee in Parliament or like a nearby think tank or something like that. So I've only submitted my preferences so far, but yeah, like it's a pretty awesome opportunity that I got through a program. And the fact I get to say that I'm doing this right after working for the United States government's a pretty surreal experience that. I also like, I don't know, it's just pretty awesome that I have these things lined up. Just like hearing myself talk about it now is pretty cool that my 2019 is filled of these opportunities. Dude, I would say so. I mean, you're from summer all the way through fall, you are doing a lifetime of experiences in a matter of call it six months that people would die for, right? And I, I mean that. I mean, you went from Jerusalem for 10 days and spending maybe only $40 the entire time you were over there to moving to DC and working for a very high profile government and a, a very high profile department within the government, a very like important part of the government, I would say, if not the most important. And then yeah, going- I'm pretty, didn't realize how important it was until I got in there and I, everything has the word missile on it. I'm like, oh my God. Like, yeah, is- it's it's freaking crazy, dude. And then you're going from there to London and you're going to be working in parliament, right? And like you just said, you're going to be going from the US government to the UK government and you're going to get to learn so much, not only about our country, but how other people view our country, right? I think the most eye-opening thing for me when I went out to London for the few days that I was there was just how other people are so immersed in the United States news, right? They know exactly what's going on with our country from a day-to-day standpoint, what the president's doing, what the cabinet's doing, what Congress is doing. And it's it's just so eye-opening. And I'm like more than excited for you. And we'll have to bring you back on the podcast to hear more about your experience after you get back from London. Because dude, like you are doing some of the coolest things that, I mean, I look back to like my college time and playing football and then doing these internships. And the one thing that I envy out of, like, I envy you the most is the fact that you have taken the reins of your future. And like, I mean, you said this in the beginning, like you're super indecisive, but I would say that you've been on a path that has allowed you to be able to become whatever it is that you want to be in in the future. And whether that's a lawyer, 
whether that's look, working for government, whether that's working for a tech company as the conduit to government, right? Because Google and Facebook and Adobe and you know Microsoft, they all have roles now where they have to deal with the government every single day. And you are just setting yourself up for a very, very bright future. And I know that everyone that's been listening to this can, can obviously tell and wouldn't just guess that you're about to turn 21 in just a month. And it's, it's impressive, dude. So I, first off, I want to say thank you for coming on the podcast. And second, thank you for walking us through your journey on how you've been able to land these. If there was one piece of advice that you could give somebody in terms of like getting funding so that way they could go do these different types of things, right? Because I think that's one thing that you've excelled at tremendously is being able to find different scholarships or different funds to help you get to go do these things on your own dime. And when I say on your own dime, I mean for free and then also making a little bit of money during that time to have spending money. But what would you give, what would you tell people in terms of just like looking for scholarships, looking for funding and all of that fun stuff? Um, Yeah, like, I mean, it's ridiculous already realizing how expensive DC is and how hard it is that if no, if you don't get any funding sources or if you're not from like Jeff Bezos family or something like that, then it's going to be almost impossible to like afford living here on an unpaid internship. So like funding is definitely like a huge thing. And I don't know, it's, there's always funding at your school is what I've realized that there's always these little secret pockets of funding that nobody really knows about. And the way I got my funding was actually pretty interesting. Um, there's like a summer in DC program through Rice that gives you a specific amount of money as long as you have an internship in DC. And I applied for it last year and got flat out rejected. But after that, I basically knew like my dream was to be in DC still. So I found out the guy who is in charge of the program and met with him right after I got rejected to find out why I got rejected, how to make my resume better, et cetera, even though the application wasn't going to be due for next year for the next year's program. And making that little connection with him and just having him now know my name, basically, in my opinion, is what propelled me because then I learned what they look for in the applicants, what was wrong with my resume, what I needed to have stand out. And basically, like, it was reaching out to professors and mentors like that because they know more of the systems of how to get money than the students do it is what honestly was the best thing for me because even through even if it wasn't for that program i was talking to professors and mentors and everything finding out all these little secret pockets of money that rice had that aren't advertised on their website and it's just finding those little connections i guess and talking to the people that you any adult on campus that really knows about that is going to find you those little pockets of money it's not always the super highly advertised ones because that's where everyone applies it's always the small funds that the school has and was very willing to give out as just somebody who needs to ask for it yeah that's dope that's so dope and i think one thing that's important that everybody notes that you've said multiple times throughout this episode today is just the fact that you've reached out for help Right. When it came down to going to Jerusalem, you sat down and met with the guy who got the applicants in and then or not. You didn't sit down with the guy who did the applications, but you had enough resources around you for someone to recommend you for it. Right. And then you don't get the funding to go to D.C. And then you are like, you know what, I'm going to find out what I did wrong. So that way I could fix it. Not because I'm mad, but because I want this so bad that I'm willing to take direct feedback from this guy create a relationship with him, learn from him. And then this will in turn help me and it behoove me in my, in the future as I can apply again and know exactly what it is that they're looking for. So I could hit on all of those cylinders. Exactly. And I don't know, like, it's like, if I didn't have any help, there's no way I would be, I wouldn't have no idea what I'm doing. I would have no idea how to apply for anything. I wouldn't even known that the state department application opened in October if it weren't for my mentors telling me. It's like, it's almost impossible for someone to individually learn all the nuances and things that go on because they purposely make these internships complicated to get. They purposely make them hard to find. They really make it difficult. So if you don't reach out for help, then it's just going to, you're just putting extra burdens on yourself to find your own money, find your own way to apply. Like it's, it's a hassle and reaching out for help is the only, is easily the best thing I did. And I wouldn't have be here if I didn't have help along the way. Uh, dude, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think mom says it best. It takes a village, right? 
it it really does it's not just me who came here it's definitely every single person that helped me with my application my resume my letters of rec my every single thing along the step wasn't not just me at all yeah and i mean like like you were saying like that's how i got my job right i mean i got my job at starbucks because i had to seek out mentors and understand from people within the company on how to get into this dang company. I got turned down from the internship. I wanted to work there so badly. I wanted to move to Seattle, work in HQ, all these crazy things. And my dream and goals were only crazy to those who didn't understand how I was going to get there. But once I was able to accomplish it, it showed people that one, I was capable of, of being able to do it. And two, that at, like you can accomplish anything that you want, but you have to be humble enough to be willing to seek that help. Otherwise, like you said, it's just going to put extra burdens on you. You might not get the letters of recommendation that you want. Like there's, there's so many different aspects that kind of layer into it where if you don't use your village and your network and your, your mentors, then you're never going to truly get to where you want to get because of the fact that when you try to do things on your own, you end up, I'm not going to say falling flat on your face, but you don't have anybody there to give you direct feedback to tell you what to change in order to, achieve and accomplish what it is that you want to accomplish. And it motivates you so much more with knowing all the people that help me with even like much my application and just sort of getting here. It's like sort of motivation is to like not F up basically. It's like there's people that helped you along the way. You don't want it to all to go to waste of the time and effort they put into you as well. And it just even gives you more of a reason to keep doing your best no matter what. Cause there's one, yeah, obviously proving it to yourself, but there's the second part of, these people put all this time and effort into you and really believed in you that that's why they gave you their time. And it's, you want to give them the benefit as well of putting time into effort into something that came out very well. I want them to hear that I was a great intern. I want them to hear that I had a really good time in DC and made a lot of connections and everything. And I want them to know that the effort they put into me actually got a value out of it. A hundred percent. And I think like on that note, it's people who have faith in you and trust and they're like, man, like I know you're going to be something in the in the near future, Blake. Like I think you're amazing right now, but I think that your potential and your growth pattern and what, what you're capable of doing in the near future is even, you know, is insurmountable compared to what you're doing today. And like you said, it's motivating to the point where you're like, dang, like all these people believe in me. They want to see me succeed. So I got to succeed. I mean, not only am I am I letting myself down if I don't, but I'm also letting all these other people down if I don't. And not saying that, you know, if you don't succeed in that role or you don't succeed in that internship or you don't get the internship or you don't get the job that you want, doesn't mean that you're not a success and it doesn't mean that you're a failure. It just means that the timing isn't right today, right? And I think that a lot of people will see that, especially those who are who are investing in you, investing their time. I mean, I think back to my conversations with Bernard, who was the president of Tivana and now the CEO of El Pollo Loco. When I was in college talking to him, I just remember being like, I want to get there so bad. And he was like, trust the process, Chase. Like, I will help you, but you also need to put in the work today. And you also need to enjoy the process of getting to where you are, uh, to where you want to be in order to truly live that, that holistic and full happy life when it comes to your career. So yeah, like, for example, like getting rejected from the DC program last summer was, or last year was like, probably the best thing that came out of it it's because one i'm was definitely not ready at the time to live alone in dc so i'm glad i got rejected on that regard and two it set me up for this it set me up to learn more about what sucked in my resume and how to beef it up it helped me get a better internship out of it because if i got it last summer i probably wouldn't have been at the state department and just so many things really like, like looking back now that yes getting rejected from it was sucky at the time, but it's probably the best thing that happened to me. And it's easily the reason that I'm here this summer having a like kick-ass internship as opposed to maybe a less kick-ass internship and not knowing what I'm doing in DC. So like at the time, the timing seems bad, but it definitely ended up in the most perfect way it could have. A hundred percent. And I would say that that holds true in almost every situation. I still remember to this day getting the rejection call from Starbucks and from L'Oreal for an internship. And it happened in the same day within 45 minutes of each other. And I literally remember walking up into my room down in Florida and crying for an hour straight and being like, what did I do wrong? Like, why am I not good enough? I thought I had this in the bag. I thought I had both of them in the bag. I got a great network there. I worked my ass off. 
And then I remember like scrambling to find another internship that summer. And I like after that hour of crying, I was like, all right, Chase, you got to get your shit together. You got to go back, look at your resume. You know what? Let's call a couple people, get their eyes on it, see what their feedback is. And then also let's go through a quick interview with, you know, mom or dad or anybody else that I can continue to talk to that could help give me feedback on my interview skills. So that way I know exactly what it is that I'm doing wrong and shit. I mean, once I got the full-time job with Starbucks, it was the most liberating thing that I was, that I had done in, you know, the 21, 22 years of that I have been alive because I had seen my failures and my failures had come to fruition, at least what I considered a failure, but I then turned it into motivation to get me to where I wanted to be. And I, I still remember back to that day. Anytime I have a bad day, I'm like, remember that time when you cried up in your room, right? And being able to remember and recall those times and even like keeping a diary or keeping a journal and being able to write those down and understand what you were going through at those times are just going to make you more grateful as you continue to succeed and, and flourish and grow in this life. Yeah, no, it's definitely, yeah, no, I agree. Every time, like at the time, everything sucks when you get rejections and stuff like that. But like when you think about it from a year later, it's the easily one of like not the best moment ever. But you you realize how basically everything is happening for a reason that it'll still end up in your favor, even though if it seems shitty at the time. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And in closing, Blake, now this was a fun episode, but I have to have one more question for you. You know, I ask everybody this. You get in the elevator. 90 seconds, someone's like, oh man, you look like a smart guy. If you had one piece of advice, what would you give me? Hit us. Wow, that's a, I probably should have prepared for this one. Nope, nope. It's right off the dome, baby. I don't know. Like, can you, wait, can you repeat the question one more time? I'm sorry. Yeah, you're fine. So, or is it just like, what, what advice would I give them, I guess? Yeah, what advice would you give someone if you were in an elevator and they looked at you and they were like, hey man, like I'm just struggling in everything in my life right now and I just need some something that's uplifting and a piece of advice. You have, you're going between floor one to floor 17. So you got like 90 seconds in between that. What would you, what piece of advice would you give them on anything? I Like I'd first tell them just to like, continually not give up like I think last summer I got over 17 rejections from think tanks I applied to so one like that and two just like I know I'm pretty big on just like being yourself kind of and making sure you're not fitting to a norm I guess like for example although I'm in the state department I still roll up my sleeves and show my tattoos I wear my like skinny pants and don't wear a tie every day and just try to like I still dress how I want to dress kind of and I think that's like really big I guess in how I see things is that if you stay true to who you are and what you kind of want to do and don't conform to where you want to work and let that kind of go towards you I think it ends up having one just more optimism going through and just not being so down about things and two it just gives you a little more light and just a bit more excitement applying to things knowing that oh like that seems like a shitty place to work like I don't want to go there but it's like no, it's like you stay you. Like if you're a fun, exciting person, then like stay you. Don't let the environment kind of take you down, I guess. So if that person was really struggling, I would just say, do literally just do whatever you want. Like, like fuck the standards that you have, I guess. I don't really yeah. know. This is just kind of going on a ramble. No, I, I love guess, it. But. I love it because what you said was so liberating and it's so true, right? Like don't take the present and allow it to affect your future if it's something that you don't want, right? And one thing that, like, I'm going to bring my buddy Chris Johnson on that on an episode here in the next couple of weeks. We're going to Chicago next week, so he kind of has no choice but to listen to me and then also come onto the podcast. But we're going to talk about, like, dressing at work and how being yourself gives you more confidence in what you do because, like you said, you're not conforming, you're not allowing somebody else to control you, so you're allowing yourself to be who you are while also doing really great work. And at the end of the day, it's all about the output that you have, not about how you dress, not about how many tattoos you have, not about what your hair looks like. If you wear glasses, if you wear contacts, if you have 20-20 vision, right? It's all about the fact that you are who you are. You stay within their standards, right? Like being able, like wearing button-up shirts and having to wear khakis or, or dress pants and, and also wear a blazer or tie when, it, when that time comes. But also you get to really, truly be exactly who you are. And that's why they hired you, right? I mean, they hired you for being Blake Coleman, not for being Blake Coleman, the politician. 
yeah, like when you look at my resume, they don't know how I look or anything like that. They just know that those are the skills and the experiences I have. And that's all they're really expecting, right? Like, I mean, always like you come in and like everyone in my office is wearing suits, like these big, like ex-military men who are pretty frightening, but it's not frightening, but it's like just not me at all. But it's like, if I made, I was telling myself like, as long as my work output is good, it doesn't matter being this like short gay guy with tattoos who wears skinny pants all the time. It's all about the work output I give. So being able to still dress how I want and granted, that's still like completely like thankful for my office for like letting me do that in the first place that they don't really stop me for not wearing a suit every day or something like that. But it's just like when you're more confident, I guess, in what you, like if you don't feel bad about getting up in the morning and putting on your clothes and everything, if you're so comfortable with doing everything, like if you're so comfortable with how you are and that if you would dress like this, if, if no matter what the job stances were, then you're just going to end up feeling better about yourself and also feeling more dedicated to give a good work output. And just like there's just not many, there's not as many hindrances, I guess, if you're still just comfortable with what you're doing and feel like you're not really conforming to anything. Agreed. Agreed wholeheartedly. And Blake, this was freaking awesome. Let me tell you that. Um, this has been a long time coming. I've been thinking about this ever since I actually launched the podcast. And I'm not saying that just because you're here. I'm saying that because it's true. And like, I'm just happy that you were willing to come on and, and tell your story a little bit and, and feel comfortable explaining to us exactly what it is that you've been doing, how you got to where you are. And I have no doubt that this is going to be an invaluable episode. Like I said earlier, we are going to have to bring you on after you get back from London, because one, I'm going to have to pick your brain on what you learned in London, what different colleges or not colleges, cities and countries you went to. And then also hopefully get to pick your brain a little bit more on, on parliament. Um, but dude, like, thank you again. This was, this was fantastic. And I can't thank you enough for coming on the episode today. I'm, I'm pumped. I'm legitimately pumped to get this out. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. If any of your viewers know any single gay men in DC, tell them they can contact you to contact me. If that's my last little statement I can give, I guess, tell them I'm completely single in DC. I got you. I got you. We'll leave that on there. But Blake, thanks again, my brother. I love you, man. Um, super proud of everything that you're doing. Super proud of you. And I mean, you know, I love you more than more than I can even show. So can't wait to see you in August, right? I'll be seeing you in August. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, we'll keep rocking and rolling. Keep rocking DC. Keep making those. I don't even know what you do because you're not allowed to tell me, but keep keep <laughs> kicking ass, keep taking names. And I mean, man, like I can't wait to see you run for president in 2036 and win that bad boy, because as much as you may think it's unrealistic, I know it's very true. It's very possible and, and it will happen. So can't wait to, to put you on that ballot and, and see your name so I can bubble it in. Or maybe in 2036, we'll be doing it via our, our phones or something. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for having me again. Love you too. All right. Love you, bro. All right. Love you. Have a good one. Thanks for tuning in. And don't forget to follow our blog at itsmillennialtalk.com. Follow us on social media at underscore millennial way on Instagram and Twitter.